Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast series. In this series, we'll be bringing you experts on a number of respiratory related topics. The podcast has been produced to update you and to give you food for thought about how you deliver your respiratory services. Hello and welcome to this podcast. This is a part of the Greener Respiratory Healthcare campaign series. Today we're going to be talking about virtual consultations and we're going to try and come up with 10 top tips for a good virtual consultation. My name is Carol Stonham. I'm a primary care nurse based in Gloucestershire and I'm executive chair of PCRS and I'm joined by Ren. So Ren, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Ren Lawler. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner working in South East London for urgent care and extended primary care services. I sit on the education committee as the chair and also on the exec as well for PCRS. Lovely, thanks. So I've actually done some preparation for this one because coming up with top 10 tips can be really quite difficult off the top of your head because you don't know where you got to. So I have thought about the way healthcare is delivered. I've given some thought to how we really quickly jumped from all consultations or almost all consultations being face to face to almost all consultations being virtual. And virtual might be telephone, which we've probably, in fairness, been doing for a very long time. Video has, it's extended massively, whereas previously it was quite a small part of our our consultation toolkit, but also to include things like text messaging and e-consultations. So I think you've got to think broadly around consultations when we think about virtual consultations. So the first, my first top tip would be around privacy and confidentiality because I think it can sometimes be something that is overlooked and that can be overlooked both ends so I think one end is is making sure that privacy and confidentiality is maintained your end as a healthcare professional so if you're on video consultations what's going on behind you is there somebody wandering around in the background because that can be really distracting for a patient and can you be overheard so are you in the same secure location as you would expect to use if you were using a face-to-face consultation likewise where's your patient so when you call your patient is your patient in a position where they can openly talk to you and have a good consultation or are they in a place where they are being overheard or their confidentiality or privacy is not being protected so are they on the school run are they at work in a busy office are they doing their shopping those types of things this is really interesting sorry to interrupt you but i find this really interesting because i've seen um obviously i've I've been doing a a similar thing and one of the the services that i work for which is the extended primary care service uh, southeast london has recently been uh, supporting nhs 111 so what happens is that nhs it's generally out of hours so if a patient has called nhs 111 overnight or whatever they then book them in, say, with us for a further telephone consultation the following day, and then we can bring them in if we need to. But what's really interesting is that when they get booked in with our service, they're booked in at a time. And what I've become aware of is that if you're running slightly behind time, and I would like to reassure everybody that I don't run behind time too often, (laughs) but when you do, because, you know, you've had a longer conversation with the person before, or you couldn't get through to them on the phone, it may be that they absolutely could have spoken to you at eight o'clock in the morning, but at quarter past eight, they can't. And that, that sounds, you know, it sounds very rigid, but when we're talking about privacy and confidentiality, if you run behind face to face, it's still just you and that patient in the room together, regardless of whether it's half an hour later from their appointment time. But I think with sort of video and with telephone consultations, it may be that that 15 minutes is now 
made it incredibly difficult for them to have a private conversation. Mm. Yeah. I was speaking to a, 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 a well, I phoned a, a female patient. She was supposed to be spoken to the day before, but the GP had phoned her 15 minutes after her appointment time, at which point her husband, her kids were all back from, he'd, he'd gone to pick them up from school or something like that anyway. And she just could not discuss what she wanted to discuss because she didn't want to do that in front of in front of them. So, yeah, so I think that's something to be aware of. And, and some people don't worry. I mean, I was in the supermarket a couple of weeks ago and there was a lady in there that was obviously having a fairly personal conversation with a healthcare professional in the middle of the supermarket with, with the whole world and his wife listening. But luckily it was a telephone consultation, not a video consultation. So she wasn't actually <laughs> trying to demonstrate anything. But that takes me, so, that, so, so first one is around privacy and confidentiality. The second one actually around that takes us into it really nicely is around timing. Mm. So, so I had personal experience where I had a, a, a hospital appointment and I was told my telephone appointment was at 11.20. So I kept myself free from about 11 o'clock and it got to one o'clock and I thought I've been overlooked, I've been missed. So I phoned the appointments office and, and said, I think I've missed my appointment. It was a telephone appointment. She said, no, the time doesn't mean anything. They ring you when they've got a minute. <laughs> so that meant they were expecting me to keep, keep my whole day free to talk to them. And if I didn't answer my phone, I would be put down as somebody that didn't arrive at their appointment. Oh, my goodness. So I think that's the that's the other end of the scale around actually making sure that you do give a time, but explain that like when you're working face to face, you might be running a little bit late. So that's not an exact time. It's not an exact science. It was like waiting for a plumber or a delivery or a delivery. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the, they eventually called me at three o'clock in the afternoon. Which is not 20 past 11. Absolutely not. And they, they have sorted that issue out now. But I think it's really important to think about the timing, of course. And as you say, think about if you're running late, is the patient still available to talk to you? But if you don't give them yeah. time at all, well, you can't expect people to wait all day with the phone in the, their hand just to drop everything to talk to you. Yeah. The next thing I thought about was patient choice. I think we've sort of moved a little bit away from patient choice with the way we consult with our patients. And I think the other thing around that is acceptability to patients. So there are patients that absolutely love virtual consultations, be they a phone call, be they a text message, be anything. And there are patients that really it doesn't work for them. Mm. And I think the other side of that is there are patients that, depending on what's wrong with them, it might, might be their, their first choice, but it might not be their first choice. And we still have to think a little bit about patient choice. So what's best for the patient? What does the patient want? Not just what do we want? And I, I, it feels almost like we've sort of overstepped that at the moment. And we're thinking too much about this is what we're going to do from now on. And we're not really asking opinions of patients. It's a, it's a bit of a, it feels like a bit of a, that classic approach of, oh, we didn't realise we could do so many telephone consultations and blah, blah, blah. So let's just continue doing that. And I certainly where I work at the moment, there's still GP practices that aren't doing, they're still not doing any face to face, which I, 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 me humbly and personally I don't I don't think is the right approach because exactly as you say there's there's a whole cohort of patients who love the fact that they can now just do an e-consult not talk to anyone get a prescription or a referral or whatever they're working you know they're they, you know they, they, if they're working nine to five they're probably actually working seven till seven because of commutes and various mm. other things you know people travel to work it's impossible to be seen things like the contraceptive pill and stuff like that, they don't necessarily need to be seen if, if they can self-report blood pressure. So I think it really does work very, very well for that population of, of, of people who it works very, very well for. Yeah. 
So it is just keeping that element of choice. Absolutely. And the variety, I think, open for patients. Mm, yeah, of course. Next top tip number four is around identity. I think this is important both ways. So the first thing I would say about this is make sure you confirm your identity when you phone somebody. We all receive 101 phone calls a week from people that say they're somebody completely different, that are really looking out for something that, that you don't want to help them with, or that they're trying to sell insurance, or they're trying to save you from an accident that you never had, those types of things. So I think it's really important when we see people face, when we see patients face to face, they are in the surgery, you have usually come from a consultant room, called them. If you're a nurse, you may well be wearing uniform or not, but it's, it's more obvious who you are because you're there and you're calling them through. But I think when you when you phone somebody and often when we call from healthcare premises, our numbers withheld, mm. I think it's really important to explain who we are. And then equally important is to actually make sure the person on the other end of the phone is who you think they are. Because you could get a little way into a consultation and then realise you dialed the wrong number, which would be a bit of a time waster. And, and actually, you know, you could th there could be a confidentiality issue there. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, you know, it's you know, it, it is one of those difficult things because I, I mean, certainly I've I've been doing telephone consultations and things like that, whereby you end up on a, a kind of either a three way conversation because you're on speakerphone. And that might be because they've got a, a parent, a relative, a, a partner um, who they want to have involved in the consultation, mm. which would be perfectly normal if they'd come into the practice and they'd all come in together. Similarly, um, where the patient doesn't have English as their first language. And so they've got a family member or something there that's yeah. interpreting. And that's very difficult because, you know, one, you don't know what that family member is interpreting, whether or not they're, they're directly interpreting what you're saying. Uh, whereas when they come in and you use language line and things like that, you've got a little bit more confidence that, that what you're trying to say is being uh, reworded in, in the right way and that that understanding is there. So there is, it is tricky. I, I think it is tricky. But I think ensuring that you make your identity very clear, but also if you've got any doubt or any instinct that perhaps that's, that you're not speaking to the person that you should be speaking to or that you feel that the, the consultation or the conversation isn't going in the right way, then, you know, it's reasonable to, 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 to terminate that consultation and, and yeah. possibly ring back at another time. So having the confident, confidence to do that, I think, is, is, is incredibly important. Yeah. So the other issue comes around consent. So it, it crops up in all contexts of healthcare. It can, you know, when should we be getting signed consent? When is it implied consent? When is it non-consent? And I think we need to just take that same consideration across to our virtual consultations so we, we don't generally ask patients to sign consent before we will have any consultation with them at all that would seem a little bit ridiculous but you have to document things in a, a very formal way so you have to be sure that consent is implied that actually the the call was initiated or accepted by the patient and that they are consenting to what it is the, the the thing you want to talk about the conversation that you're having and anything else you want to do and I think within that we need to think about our children and young people population as well so our sort of our teenagers what do we do about our under 16s mm. well we do the same as we would do if we saw them face to face so we would think about phrasal guidelines and we would think about making sure that they you you felt that they could take the information you were giving them and make sense of it and make an informed decision from that and that's more difficult on the phone than it is face to face with young yeah. people very much so but, but but also when you you know when you're thinking about your patients who perhaps have some level of cognitive impairment uh, memory loss you know either your your kind of elderly patients with with sort of Alzheimer's dementia things like that those patients who have got 
uh, learning difficulties or mental health problems, you know, all of these kind of things. And it all comes out under this kind of consent, this safeguarding, this kind of chaperone uh, approach as well. This, I think a big issue around, you know, if you've got patients who have issues with, you know, either genitals or, you know, uh, sort of breasts, things like that, bottoms, things like that, that, you know, you don't really want to be asking them to, to put that on video you don't really want to ask them to, <laughs> to send them photos you know and um, so that all of these kind of things you know come into play and it's you know you're asking very personal questions uh potentially and you don't know who's on the end and you don't know who's around no so i think the consent the safeguarding and the, and the the kind of chaperone thing is 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 something that that we need to be very cautious with and these are the patients that really do benefit from that face-to-face option i think yeah, and I think so. Safeguarding was my next top tip: is to think about safeguarding. So I think quite frequently, when we consult with particularly children and and vulnerable adults, actually, sometimes body language is very telling, and sometimes you just get a feeling something doesn't feel right about the consultation. And if that's a telephone consult consultation, and you're talking to a parent, and you have no sight on the child, you need to be really confident that everything is as it should be. And, you, and, and that is a difficult, it's not a skill, it's a difficult thing to be able to achieve if there's any doubt at all. And it's about remembering that actually a lot of these children need to be seen so that you can, you are convinced that things are as they should be. Absolutely. I think, I think, you know, and this is, this is where we come down to this thing in terms of virtual consultations and things and, and a, a kind of greener healthcare plan, you know, it's, it's, it's an absolutely brilliant thing to be able to do, but there are going to be certain patients and certain patient populations that you need to get eyes on yeah and that needs to be face to face you need to see the body language you need to 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 see the generally how they're holding themselves how they're interacting that eye contact all of those kind of things that that could be kind of lost in translation mm. if you're not sort of uh, actually sort of face to face and in the vicinity of that person in their in their in their space yeah and, and sort of going on from that, you, you mentioned chaperones. So chaperones and telephone consultations and virtual consultations seem maybe an odd thing to do because we, we usually associate a chaperone as a physical body in the room that is sort of independently observing the consultation. But it is important that patients are still entitled to a chaperone. And actually, as a healthcare professional, you may still need a chaperone depending on what's going on within that call. So don't completely forget that the place of chaperoning or chaperones is really important within healthcare to protect both you as a healthcare professional and the patient and actually to make sure that you know everybody's very happy about things that are being done yeah of course and chaperones we need to remember you know we we use the the term chaperone and things like that but in in an environment where you're remote and you're not next to that patient you know, as I said you're not in their space you're not in their energy you're not near them or whatever then actually sometimes that chaperone is is as, as much chaperone as they are witness yeah absolutely to be the one that says it yeah and then we need to think about safety so we need to think is the way we're consulting safe for the individual and safe for the condition that that individual has or the complaint or the symptoms or whatever and those are different things so I think safety for an individual is one thing and safety for a condition is something quite separate so you've got to think around the whole remit of safety we, we've had um, a huge rise in, for example, lung cancer, and that's partly because patient, through the pandemic, and that's partly because patients haven't been presenting because they don't want to bother anybody because they've got a bit of a cough and they're smokers and that's okay because that's just what they do. But it's also around patients being dealt with in a remote way and 
the healthcare professional or healthcare professionals dealing with them not picking up on the cues that actually this patient had a cough and we've given them antibiotics and they haven't got better. And we're giving them a second course of antibiotics and they're still not better. So maybe we should be thinking about getting them and examining them, doing a chest X-ray, those types of things. So routine chest X-rays dipped massively through the pandemic, for example. So those are things we need to think about safety around the individual and especially the condition. It's your, it's your red flag recognition, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's focusing on our, in on that and making sure that you're uh, asking the, the, you know, the right questions that can be answered in the, in the right way by that individual and I think it overlaps with the safeguarding issue to make sure that it's safe for the patient as well. Absolutely, absolutely. With safety, nearly always talk about effective. So has that consultation been effective? So one way of looking at that is maybe looking at reconsultation rates. We know that patients in all parts of the healthcare system, there will be a reconsultation rate that may or may not be appropriate, but it's just worth every now and then having a look back and seeing whether or not patients are reconsulting. And which might be an indication they're unhappy with the consultation or with the way it was delivered, but it might be that they're still symptomatic and they need to come back. So I think reconsultation rates are quite an important marker with that one. Absolutely. And the, the, one other thing I would say, uh, which is completely anecdotal and based on nothing apart from experience, is the, the you know the risk of almost over-treating yeah. through anxiety of not being able to see that patient. And I haven't listened to their chest. And so I'll give them five days of amoxicillin just in case. Yeah. You know, that that's that's another thing that we really, really need to avoid if this approach is going to be effective and good for patients and we're going to move forward with it. We need to be very, very aware of there will be certain clinicians who don't have the training or the uh, ability to triage or the confidence, actually. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Absolutely. Exactly. Not for healthcare professionals, just like it's not for all patients. Exactly. Exactly. And then number 10 in the top 10 tips is to consider the advantages and wherever there's an advantage, there will be a disadvantage. So the advantages and disadvantages of virtual consultation, be that telephone, be that video, be that text, be that e-consult. So I'm going to think about the advantages and then I'm going to ask you to think about the disadvantages, Red. Okay. So the, the obvious advantage is the time that it saves. So I think healthcare professionals have worked out quite quickly. They can get through more patients during virtual consultations. And if you're a patient, actually, if you've got a 10-minute appointment at 9 o'clock and that appointment is from 9 to 9.10, that is wholly better than having to travel 40 minutes to the appointment, sitting and waiting for 10 minutes, then having the consultation and then having to travel 40 minutes home again. So it is time-saving on the, the, the part of the patient and the healthcare professional. It is, as we said, it's a really good way to engage people that you don't see very often, that don't have time to come into the surgery, that might need routine reviews, that aren't necessarily acutely unwell, but you don't normally get a hold of. So you, often somebody can spend 10 minutes out of their working day for a telephone or a video consultation, but they can't spend, as I say, that length of time to actually come into the surgery. So it's a really good way to engage infrequent attenders. It is hugely convenient for the majority of people. It is better for the environment. So anything that cuts down on travel is definitely better for the environment. So that's that's one of the real big pluses. We're looking at environmental in, impacts, and this particularly is from our Greener Respiratory Healthcare campaign. Then there's cost to the patient. So some patients may walk to the surgery and not actually find they have any cost at all because they, they do it in their day off. But other patients will need to travel to the surgery and that's whether or not they drive, whether they've got a pay to park, whether they use public transport or whether they need to take time off work. 
So it is often a cost-saving thing for the patients. So I think those are some of the advantages. What do you see as disadvantages, Ren? Okay, so disadvantages, I think, I think first and foremost is going to be the, the, the loss of non-verbal cues. It's going to be the loss of assessment, physical assessment, you know, actually being able to, to, to kind of get a stethoscope on or palpate an abdomen or look in a throat or, or, you know, all of those kind of things, which you may be able to do in a limited way with video calls, but not if somebody, as you say, is in the office and they've nipped into the toilet to have their 10 minute consultation. You're not going to ask them to then, you know, kind of start trying to show your throat in the mirror or something like that. And that's the reality of the situation, actually, isn't it? And that's exactly what happens with a lot of people. Yeah, 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 of course. Absolutely. Um, it may be that they still require face to face. So you do this telephone triage um, and actually you're not happy with it. You you want to get eyes on them um, sort of thing. And so now we've had two appointments and the patients had yeah. two portions of, of their day or their time or whatever, where they've had to engage with us, which they may not be too happy about. Well, and two portions of your time. Well, exactly. Very true. Yeah. So, well, this, that's the interesting thing that you say that. So where we're um, helping with NHS 111 appointments, you have the telephone consultations and then you have a slot of time at the end of the day where you can bring in people that you felt needed to be seen, yeah. which kind of lengthens the day. And it also means that you can't then accept that you're going to remote work because there's a possibility you will have to then go to a clinic because you've brought somebody in and you and you and you don't know if that's going to happen or not so that can be quite disruptive in that way yeah obviously there's a loss of privacy when you think about that when you think about the confidentiality as we said and then the other thing I think that's really important is is the fact that we're using technology I know for absolute certainty that my dad who's in his 70s would have no problem with a, a virtual consultation by video on his phone a telephone consult no problem at all my mother who's in her 70s, would not cope with that at all. She's non-digital. She's not at all. And they, they, they're together. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're together. They live together. And he would, my dad would sort of say, well, we'll just do it on the phone. We'll do it online. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. Yeah. My mother would prefer to go and see someone face-to-face because she knows how that works. She knows she goes in. She tells the receptionist she's here. The doctor calls her in. She speaks to the doctors. She gets the prescription. She goes. That's like in her, that would be her mindset. To do it differently would cause her untold anxiety. And I think we we pigeonhole that into probably into older populations, when actually that yeah, isn't my experience. Not, yeah. I find a lot of older populations, they're used to FaceTime, they use it to talk to their grandchildren all the time and they absolutely yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas younger populations may be a little bit more cautious about using it or not find it appropriate for them. So I think it's around not pigeonholing it. But you also, you know, that there's also that whole group of people who may have autism or Asperger's or language problems or sight problems or sensory problems or deafness or you know or there's, there's, there's a numerous numerous kind of people who will sit in a, a population whereby this isn't the best option for them um, and we need to be really aware of that and I think during COVID where you know the majority of practices stopped seeing patients completely I think there's a whole population that were probably done a disservice there. Yeah. So that was 10 top tips, but I think it's always good to have a bonus top tip. And I think my absolute bonus top tip is to remember that there is no one size that fits all Mm. when we're dealing with different people in different populations, in different parts of their life, with different health issues. And I think we need to remember that we need to maybe take a step back and consider 
if we're doing most things remotely, whether that is appropriate and actually think about how we reintroduce choice to patients and we reintroduce appropriate consultation. And actually virtual consultation may be the appropriate consultation, but it's the right thing for the right patient at the right time, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, thank you very much for joining us. I, th- I found that really quite insightful. It's always good to talk to somebody else about something that you've been thinking about for a while. So I'd like to thank Ren for joining me this evening. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. It's good to talk to you. And we'll catch up soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for future podcasts. Goodbye.